0: you could join us for episode 157 of sci-fi tv rewatch my name's dave and i'm joined as always by my co-host wayne as we continue our journey down the pilot preview path before deciding on a winner and uh wayne we got new computers but we're going old school tonight
1: yeah you know apparently uh they don't yeah i don't know i don't know why i can't just download skype right now but i can't so uh old school talking over the phone
0: yeah, our county decided to limit the software that we're able to install. Now, you're using your new one. I'm I'm still using my old one. but How do you uh, still have your old one? Didn't you have to turn that thing in? No, no, not that old one. I mean, an, an old one that I uh, my uh, own my own that uh, I just use for podcasting. And, you know, it's it still does the trick. Yeah, that was, that was tough giving up the, the old Mac. That's, it was, but you uh, had it five years, man. It's time yeah. for a change. And, and we got the MacBook Airs and uh you know i don't know if you felt the reduced weight of your backpack but i sure noticed <laughs> yeah it is much lighter no question yeah so uh well tonight we're here to discuss the pilot episode of the bbc's 2006 series life on mars but before we get to that wayne and i want to remind you we'd love to hear from you via email at sci tv rewatch at gmail.com or at the website where you can leave a voicemail using the leave voicemail tab can record your own audio clips, send the MP3 as an attachment, or send us a tweet at SciFi TV Rewatch. We'd encourage you to join the Facebook group and join the discussions there. And, you know, we won't belabor the point, but but obviously there's a little bit of traffic on the Facebook group uh, about our <laughs> review of the 4,400. And, you know, I think you really said it well in your post, and, and I, I have to respond to somebody, and I think I'm just going to say what Wayne said. because. <laughs> You know, and, and to be truthful, I did happen to go back and listen to our previous podcasts, and, you know, we really did lay it out there that we understand the limitations of doing only the pilot.
1: I mean, there's no question. It's um, – if, you know, I were a fan of the show, I would say you would want more than just, just the pilot. And, and, and we acknowledge that we're not judging, you know, the entire episode, and we want to put that out there that uh, – not the entire, the entire series – we'll get one episode in isolation and, um, and we've been on record saying before that, you know, a lot of times that uh, shows take time to develop and, and as they get along, they get better and they pick up steam. And, the, you know, I mean, I can think of, uh, uh, Sarah Connor Chronicles, right. I think was a show that the pilot wasn't necessarily spectacular, but the show ended up becoming just really, really fantastic. You know? Yeah. So, well,
0: anyway, uh, you know, I'll tell you, I, I got a chance to rewatch Life on Mars, and I'm I'm really glad I did. There, there's so much to pick out. It, it is difficult though with
1: these fifty-eight minute yeah. episodes. I, I need my forty-three minute episode. <laughs> I knew that. I I'd forgotten that they were uh, they were longer. That they, you know, each episode was like almost a full hour long. And it's like my biological clock, you know, starts checking out at
0: the forty-three minute mark, but. <laughs> I hung in there. I did what I usually do is just, just hit it in pieces. And you know, it was certainly worth it. There's a lot in this one. And you know, I don't know how many times you've seen it. Obviously, this was one that you had seen. I had not.
1: So yeah, this is my uh, third go around with life on Mars, I think. Oh, you yeah, only watched it once it's... the first time. You know what, maybe, I, mean, I don't know if I've only, I might have only just watched it the one time now I think about it. Oh, okay. Well, and it's been a
0: while since you started trying to sell me on the show, so, you know.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, whenever I think of Life on Mars, I always think of, ah, oh, geez, it was maybe seven years ago, I think, because uh, my wife had gone up to Toronto for a wedding, and it was during parent conferences, right, where I'm at school all day. So, uh, my parents had the other three kids and were, you know, they were sleeping over there because I wasn't getting home in time for work to get in the bed. And so I came home to myself to all by myself, this house, and we only had power in half the house. It was, it was the weirdest thing. Like half the rooms had power, half the rooms didn't. So I had to like run an extension cord up to my room just so I could power a, uh, uh, plug in a uh, alarm clock to get up in the morning nice so but the luckily the place that did that power was the tv room so i could come home and watch the little life on mars before i went to bed okay well
0: see now you would just simply set the alarm clock on your mobile and then you'd be in good shape a mobile what's a mobile
1: yeah I mobile
0: know. what yeah i know <laughs> all right well listen we're going to talk about life on mars it aired for two seasons of eight episodes each between 2006 and 2007 on BBC and the episodes don't really have titles they're just episode one and yeah. episode two and 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 so on a lot of you may know that there's also a U.S. version of Life on Mars and and you've seen that as well right yeah yeah and and you said it was pretty good too
1: love the U.S. version okay so if I, well yeah again I, I I don't know if you asked me which I prefer I I'd be It'd be tough for me to. Tell. I think I saw the US version first. And then because I liked that so much, I went back and, and got the, the DVDs of the uh, the British. Oh, version. okay, cool. So, well, It obviously- also has a sequel, though, a spinoff. Did you know that? I did not. No. Yep. was a spin off called Ashes to Ashes, which I believe just went for two seasons, eight episodes each. Well, I think I have heard of that, but I don't really know anything about it. Yeah. Um, it takes place in the 80s. And it's a female police officer who, from the present time, finds herself back in, in the 80s. Same place, Manchester. Uh, Gene Hunt is the DCI there as well. Oh, Still, okay. I should say.
0: All right, well, listen. This one was written by Matthew Graham, who also wrote three episodes of Doctor Who, directed by Bharat Naluri, who directed the pilot for The 100. And really? also one of the episodes of Torchwood Miracle Day. Yeah, I know. Surprising. Yeah, and cool. it aired July 24th, 2006. So, you know, again, we kind of, with these pilot previews, it seems like we've been kind of all over the place. I mean, we'll get some chronology in a minute, but but obviously the main character is D.I. Sam Tyler, played by John Sim, Woo-hoo! who we know as the master from Doctor Who, and, you know, he... Oh, really I doesn't thought you
1: were going to say we know as his- Barney Sumner from Twenty Four Hour Party People. <laughs> okay, whatever. Oh, yeah, you know what? You're right. I saw that movie. You did? I did. Ah, yeah. oh, that's like my all time favorite movie ever. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, it yeah, was definitely Love pretty it. good. He plays Barney Sumner of Joy Division and New Order. Okay, which it's tough to you know get away from as a Manchester bands. You know, like this the very Manchester Mancunian show that we have here. Yeah.
0: Well we also have WPC Woman Police Constable Annie Cartwright played by Liz White who oh, actually appeared in episode 6 of series 7 of Doctor Who, The Snowmen. I don't remember actually what character she played but she really? was in that.
1: Now and I got to go back and watch that.
0: Yeah, now what definitely did surprise me a lot was Detective Chief Inspector Hunt is played by Philip Glenister. Who plays Reverend Anderson in Outcast, which is that show I've been telling you about that I'm right. covering for Den of Geek. And it, it just has surprised me how much I like it because I typically don't like horror. And this is certainly uh, supernatural, exorcism related, and a lot of demonic overtones, but it's just done so well. So I'm three episodes into that. And and i'm really liking it but i didn't recognize him at all i mean it's almost as if he he looks different he s- definitely sounds different he has an american accent in outcast so i'm assuming he's british i didn't look that up um and and then the other one uh the, the guy that plays the psychotherapist neil who's treating uh and, uh-huh. and i'm making air quotes when i say treating sam in tw- in 2006 so um, you know, obviously, we have
1: a lot of other members of you know. Well, the, he's not though, because it was it was a joke, right? Yeah, right. Very poor taste, one. Like, what's Eddie doing, telling that clown all that stuff about Sam? Anyway, you know. Well, that's a good point. So, but let's recap. We've got David Bowie. Yes. We got the Who. Yes. Cream.
0: Yes. Blue Oyster Cult. Yes. Deep, Deep Purple. Lou Reed. I mean, really? I mean okay now and, and you know really, music
1: is spectacular in this show it's so
0: good well you wonder because it's not cheap to license music these days so i you know i don't know how they well, were Maybe some to- of
1: these uh bands are uh sci-fi or you know genre television fans yeah okay. maybe but we got like a time travel show you know could we use uh bob o'reilly and yeah. like sure oh
0: my gosh yeah but uh you know okay one of the things i i definitely like i mean look what we learned early on is that sam is a police inspector and he's tracking this serial killer he's got a female detective that apparently he had a relationship with but apparently it's going sour and she wants to follow up a hunch against his better judgment and the next thing you know she's been taken by somebody we don't necessarily know whether or not it's the killer but that sets him off on uh you know i don't want to say a rampage not a rampage but he gets in his car and he's driving and he's pounding the you know pounding his fist next thing you know he gets out of his car and then he gets
1: hit by a car great not before um Life on Mars cues up on his iPod, though. Exactly, and we even actually we even see the digital readout. You mm-hmm. know, David Bowie, Life on Mars, as if we. Yeah, in case you're like one of two people in the entire universe who doesn't know that song, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, I
0: like the fact that that we learn early on um, that he is in
1: the coma. So, or we think we learn, you know? Well, 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 right. I mean, like that's that's the 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 best part. Well, I know there's so many awesome parts of the show, but what I really liked about it was the complete bendy mind games at every turn. Like, you never know what's really going on. Right, because, I mean, he wakes up,
0: or at least it appears he wakes up, at least in our world, he wakes up and it's 1973 he's got right. the big collar on his shirt, you know, the the dress, everybody else is dressed like that, you know, the first thing he sees. And, and one of the things I really like is how they portray that disorientation that he feels when he finds himself in that that vacant lot and he's next to a car but it's not his car, but it is his car.
1: Yeah, was it the car that hit him? I think it was the car that hit him. Oh, it okay. Like it it's an older blue car but you know we don't really see the car very well i guess i could have like rewound and you know but i didn't well right but you know he he
0: finds himself you know trying to get his bearings and there's an exchange with a bobby who happens to to be there and, and he's yeah. the one that goes in the car pulls out the papers and says oh you know you're you're been transferred to such and such a precinct and all that so he recognizes that he is a fellow police officer but then and and i love how they do this is he sees the sign announcing the revitalization project for manchester and that enables him to get his bearings i don't think it any it it makes it any easier but of course you know he he can't explain it but at least it's starting to make sense such as it is
1: well i mean it it I guess it makes sense. We could put a little air quotes around that because he still is. I mean, who can believe that you were transported back in time? You know, he is. He's just completely befuddled and and has no idea of of what's going on.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that that does bother me a little bit is that at the beginning, for a policeman. He seems awfully distraught at Maya's disappearance. I mean, I understand that there's a connection there, but you'd think he'd be able to act more pragmatically and you know, not not get to the point where, you know, he drives, gets out of his car along a busy street and doesn't even pay attention instead of, okay, what do I need to do to track her down? Why not enlist the aid of your fellow detectives?
1: Well, I mean, you know, they we're involved in a relationship, you know, he's, he has an emotional attachment to her. Uh, But I think also there's this idea of, well, first of all, the whole idea of what's real, because we don't even know was 2006 real, you right. know, sure. like at this point, because he's, he says himself, like, I'm just going to keep walking to my, my mind certainly can't come up with an unending world right there's got to be a limit to what my mind can create so i'm just going to keep walking till i get to the part where i can't make stuff up anymore and i'll know that i'm in a coma and that this is just all of my imagination but yet it's everything is real it's as real in 1973 as it was in 2006 so what what is reality so then if like 2006 is the fiction then well just like in a dream, you might step out of your car and not even look and get hit by a car in a dream.
0: Well, that, yeah. well that's true. And, and, you know, I like that they've established the premise fairly quickly that, that it's all in his head as a result of the coma or so we think. And, and, and then to extend what you were getting at, Sam even lays it out there that there are really only three possibilities, one of which is that he's a time traveler. But by the end, I wonder if we're being played, and that Sam's not in a coma. Now, I know you've seen the end of the series, so we're not going to spoil that. You know, you, you there's you,
1: there's really nothing to spoil.
0: Well, but I mean, you you laid something out for me. So since we don't know, we, you know, don't don't go ahead and say it. Right, I'm know. not going to say it. It's bad enough you spoiled it for me, but you don't need to spoil it for everybody else.
1: Well, it's not necessarily <laughs> a spoil. But, Watch but, the
0: rest of the series, dude. You. Right. But, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, I I like that about the fact that, that we have to accept the possibility that he may not be in a coma, but we get so many clues along the way that indicate he is that we're as disoriented as he is.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And that's like the. It's such an awesome thing because you're absolutely, we as a viewer are just, we're right there with Sam. We are completely befuddled and confused. We have no idea what's going on.
0: Yeah. And and then when he goes into that bar, which basically just looked like somebody, (laughs) the room in somebody's house. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe that's what neighborhood pubs look like in Manchester. I
1: don't know. Never been to Manchester. Well, it's funny because in a later episode, he'll, he'll go to Nelson. He'll be like, Hey, why don't you get a TV and put like the soccer game on up there? (laughs) You know? he's like that's a good idea <laughs> well you know speaking of nelson i mean when he goes
0: in there that the first time he, he he even tells him you're not lost pal you're where
1: you are yeah see that's what i'm saying you know that, that's like we, the, we just question that's the the show just makes you question like the basic you know what is real yeah. you know it's kind of like the tv equivalent of uh inception right oh well true where we just don't know what, you know, what, what the, what actual quote unquote reality is and what is a dream or a fiction or a imagination or whatever, you know? Yeah. And he even
0: says, what does it matter anyway? None of this is real. Right. But what I, I like is that eventually, and it really doesn't take him that long he just falls into 1973, goes about his business, and and what starts out as this surreal situation ends up a traditional police procedural.
1: Right. Well, he buys in because he realizes there's a connection between the case here in 1973 and his case in 2006. Right, right, which, again, is a, is a great plot point. Now, you know, I mentioned Neil, the
0: psychotherapist, before, and, you know, in his conversation, Annie mentions that he's her ex. Do we find that out later or who he really is? Does he have any connection to Annie or is it just Um, a. You
1: know,
0: that I can't, I guess I did only watch this the one time. I can't, I can't really remember. I'm not sure. Okay. Well, you know, you mentioned the uh, connections between the case. So, you know, the opening scene in 2006. They're after a serial killer, but they realize that they've got the wrong man and that Colin Rames actually has an alibi. But, you know, Maya, his, his, I guess, ex-girlfriend, who's also a detective, you know, has this gut feeling and, you know, she goes on her own and that's what obviously leads him to be in
1: the road and get hit by the car. Yeah. Uh, like when he says uh, from the diary, quote, I killed her. Right. She's been killed. Right now. I'm a killer. a ace killer. And then that particular entry is not a wash with ambiguity. You're right. And then <laughs> just after he gets
0: hit by the car and he's lying in the road, you know, we hear this faint voice, where are you? And then, and I looked at this a couple of times, and I don't know if you noticed it or not. We see someone walking in the woods, and then we only see a foot just for a split second, and it's a shoe with this big buckle on it, almost like you'd see in the Puritan era. And I'm thinking, like, who does this shoe belong to? I mean, it's certainly not his shoe. So I no, don't know I what that means,
1: that yeah.
0: if anything. I mean, we certainly don't find anything out in this episode about it. Then he finds himself in that vacant lot that we mentioned, disoriented and all. And uh, you know, he returns to the precinct that that he thinks a joke's being played on him, even though he doesn't recognize any of the de- detectives. Right? But you remember that episode with Castle, where the 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 guy they need to question thinks he's in, I don't know, whatever it is, 1970s. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, Josh Gomez, right? The, oh, right, right. The and they all travel.
0: dress up uh, in 70s gear, and you right. know, uh, that was great. So, so it's sort of the same thing. He thinks something like that's going on, and you know by about the 15-minute mark of the episode, we realize he's in this coma state because you know, he, along with the viewer, which again was something I really liked the way they did, you know, they would do those where they would slow the action down, but the audio would be at full speed. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, so we hear the medical personnel talking to him. We assume while they're tending to his injuries, we're not sure if that's like, while he's still lying in the road and it's the EMTs, or if he's already in the hospital, but what becomes immediately so unsettling for Sam and the viewer is just like you said, and we we've said it a bunch of times, but it bears saying is that
1: we don't know what's real. Yeah. It's it's yeah. It's a complete. Yeah. That whole, just completely disoriented, uncertain. And, uh, you know, like when I was watching it, and I think probably the first time I saw it too, I thought like, I'm just imagining the, uh, the police officers, from 1973 is this guy walks in and he starts saying this is my police station you know he's like desk pc they're like do you need a police officer <laughs> <laughs> yeah like you know, he's just ram- ranting you know like you know where's my desk where's my desk it was right here where's the walls it you know, just like must look at him like this guy's a complete madman
0: well and it was so funny because all, all of the other detectives are like dude calm down you don't want to wake him up yeah And then eventually, obviously, they do wake him up and and he comes out and he he got a couple good punches in on Sam during the course of this episode, like little kidney punches or something. Yeah,
1: DCI Hunt, it's not afraid to throw a fist. He is definitely
0: not. And you know, again, so much that they did well in this episode was play up the differences between the two eras. Now, again, um, you were barely... A young baby in 1973. Yeah, it was like two years old. And, you know, one of the things that comes out loud and clear is the way that women are treated, you know, certainly as as second-class citizens, you know, it's like this Neanderthal attitude. Sure. And, you know, I'm not naive and I'm not stupid. I, I don't really remember it being that bad.
1: And, and, yeah. you know, not, I neither. but like I said, it was only two. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> but the other thing I noticed was the differences in policing. You know, several times yeah. Sam's worried that they don't have a warrant, and then Hunt just goes and kicks the door in.
1: Right, right. Uh, or like the guy who, who drops mustard on the evidence. Yeah. He's yeah. just kind of wiping it off with a napkin. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> now, the other thing is that whole –
0: Buffoonery I guess that that 's associated with all the other detectives that that they 're really just they come across as just inept and i don 't know i i was a little bothered by that i I don't know you know where that's leading I mean is this one of these things that Sam has to win them over? I mean, I guess of course he does but but still yeah, book, well, you
1: can see the the one guy i can 't remember his name. But the guy who you know does all the research for him and everything—he's kind of the first one to get on board with Sam,
0: right? And in fact, he gets really excited when he calls him that—that that he found one of the names. So you you really feel like that—that that he feels good having done something for Sam, who obviously outranks that guy. But but yeah, you're right. But the others, it, it, you know, not only inept, but they just don't care, which kind of bothered me. But.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's something you see in TV, I think, often, though, you know, that it's almost like, well, it's not almost, it is a cliche of the kind of the hard-boiled cop who's been at it and doesn't really get emotionally involved. And mm-hmm. But, you know, like, we think DCI Hunt would be the guy who most likely would fill that role, but he's not. Like, he's with there with Sam right there uh, chasing down leads, going knocking door to door, right? Yeah, sure. And and, I mean, as we said, I mean, his
0: approach is obviously radically different from Sam's because Sam is approaching it law and order of 2006, where, you know, sometimes I think we would all argue that criminals are given more rights than they deserve. But but that's our legal system. And for better or for worse, as opposed to D.I. Hunt, who just writes, he doesn't have any stinking rights. We're going to kick the door in and solve this
1: crime. Yeah, well, they bring in uh, Dora, right? <laughs> and Sam's like, and she's suspect? suspects like, nope, just pay in the arse, right?
0: Right. right and, and, what do and, I need to know? Well, paying the when, arse. When they question that girl at, you know, at, at police headquarters, and yeah, they,
1: it's Dora. That's what I was talking about.
0: And, and yeah, right. And and you know, just I mean, they don't really throw her around. He more or less throws the table around, and and you know, just trying to scare her. But as he says to Sam, he got the information he needed and, and he was right in that. But so they follow up the lead. And again, it was pretty good police work. You must say that that Sam asks them, you know, whether they've processed the crime scene. Oh no, the body's already in the morgue. And he's like, what did, did you try to get prints off a body? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking like, geez, haven't they seen any castle you get? You know. You can get prints off of anything. You get the pr- well, I like a-
1: the you know they send the, the report out to Scotland Yard. He's like that should be back in the fortnight. Exactly. <laughs> and yeah, I'm thinking back to that episode in Castle where they got a print off the
0: back of a postage stamp that was on a letter. Right. So I don't know. But you know, so so they follow it up. I, I guess you take that leap when they're standing outside the record store and I, I don't know about you, but I thought all police boxes were blue. That one was red. So I'm not sure I believe that was a real police box, but yeah, I don't know. I'll take that leap. And just suddenly something clicks and he goes in there and, you know, he sees the guy in there listening to uh, the who I believe and goes in there and that's what makes him think, oh, it's a soundproof booth. And then they, he starts putting two and two together and he realizes that's how he didn't have to gag her. And nobody could hear her screaming. Right. So now they get him, they bring him in. And, and, and first of all, one of my favorite scenes there in the precinct. And now I can't remember who calls, but they realize they know who, who they know who the killer is. And both he and hunt leap up from their desks. Yeah or a leap up from their
1: chairs. They leap over the desk.
0: run over the desk and run out together. It was awesome. And yeah, then yeah. Th- then they bring the the perp into the station doing the perp walk while Cream, White Room, and the guitar solo were playing. It was just, ah, gives me chills yeah. now thinking about it. Yeah.
1: yeah, 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 fantastic scenes. Just awesome, awesomely good. Well, then, you know, also the as he's leaving and he sees, you know, Colin as a young boy there, And just, you know, it starts to, well, it starts to see some causality here. You know, he starts to actually realize that, well, by arresting this guy and he's been away for, you know, about 30 years. And so probably the, you know, the, the killing starting again is because we caught him now, you know, and he's been, you know, locked up in an asylum for 30 years.
0: Yeah. But I guess what I also liked was they did have me going for a little bit thinking that, okay was colin rames perhaps a protege of his yeah
1: that's but, they certainly suggest that right
0: right but then as it turns out that doesn't seem to be the case that colin rames is just a, a deeply disturbed
1: young man no i think colin's probably involved in oh, okay somehow but he's got the you know if there's two of them then he could have a you know a, a, an alibi yeah, they did that in Continuum. Had the the killer who was,
0: was dying, and he had his protege that right. you know, that he was training. Uh, right. Uh, what were their names again? Mike and Dave. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> How about that? But the other thing that, that comes out of this scene, though, is when they start processing the evidence, start processing the information, getting background on this guy, they realize that they've got paperwork that this guy's probably going to be seen as criminally insane and not really do the time he should do and hunt kind of implies well we're we're just not going to let that information come to light and and of course in 2006 that would be i don't want to say impossible to do but it would be a lot more difficult to do than simply crumbling it up and throwing it in a wastebasket
1: right yeah yeah you need to at least put that through a paper shredder Right, but that was a pretty big step for
0: Sam. Because because again we've seen him all along the way been bothered by Hunt's methods and now he's got to make that moral decision what to do and I'm thinking like okay, that's I mean that's good writing, you know, because now yeah. he's got this moral dilemma and on the one hand he crumbles it up and that's what it takes for Hunt to say welcome to the team. And we know that's not why he did that at all.
1: Right. But also it, it does reveal, or it should demonstrates a, a acceptance of where he is, you know?
0: Well, sure. But, and, but also I think that sometimes the end justifies the means and that sure. while this might be against the law, it's for the greater
1: good. Uh, the greater good as Sam sees it. Right. Exactly. But because he's not sure because he doesn't know, you know, like crumpling up that paper might have zero impact if he's in a dream, right? Well right. He's imagining and- the whole thing. But see, but if he's in the dream then then why give up your principles and, and your morals if you think you're just in a in a fiction. Right? So he you know, I think that action demonstrates that he is kind of accepting that, well maybe this isn't just in my head. Because this action of crumpling up the paper, he intends to have he tends for that to impact the future,
0: well, right, and that's one of the biggest questions I have is that why did he create all these details the way he did? you know so sure. so so that is there something in two thousand and six, some moral dilemma that he's facing and perhaps hasn't decided how to handle it yet that's manifesting itself through this decision,
1: yeah, why pick nineteen seventy three I mean you were four years old. How can your brain possibly create? A wor- again if it's a fiction if it's his imagination how could his brain possibly con- concoct this entire world of 1973 yeah well that's he was only point. four years old
0: yeah uh, yeah i mean uh, other than i guess from movies and things like that yeah that's a that's a good point yeah
1: but um but uh, you know like i just hope that if this ever happened to me my mind would concoct a boss jacket like he he's got here
0: <laughs> Oh, I'm telling you, that's that's the other thing. You know, it, it, when when we first see him in that vacant lot, and he's standing next to the car, trying to figure out what the heck is going on, I know some people must have worn collars like that, but <laughs> that was pretty outrageous. That that yeah, like but that something... jacket
1: is nice. Yeah, it's it was awesome, man. I, I, the whole time, every time I see him in that jacket, I'm like, man, I love that jacket. Right that now, so you, cool. Right now, we see Neil again towards the
0: end. And he's that, that scene where Sam realizes, okay, I just need to take the next step to wake up from the nightmare. Now I'm wondering why he sees that as a step off of a building, you know, that, that he seems to have this choice about whether or not to wake up. And I I guess obviously then the question is, well, why does he make the choice to stay
1: in large part? Because Andy asks him to, okay.
0: Right. Well. Okay. So, is it something that, that he likes her? I mean, I you don't really see any indication there. Is it uh, simply because she asks there. him to, and that maybe he thinks his work is not done in seventy it, three?
1: It's it's a it's a drastic step to step off the edge of a building.
0: Absolutely, right? but it's also a drastic step to stay.
1: Right. Right. So, it's it's like Hamlet. Right. And is to be or not to be speech, you know? Sure. Do we do we suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or do we take that leap into the undiscovered born or the undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns? Right. Yeah. Like, do we do you know? Because he he's he's going with the here and now. He's going with what empirically he can say right now, at least seems real. Yeah. yeah. Like this I feel this ground beneath my feet. I there's this this person talking to me. I feel the air this as far as I can tell is is real. So he's going to stay with that. He's staying with where he is. And again, it's all part of some having some level of acceptance with where he is. I mean, obviously he still would wants to return, but he's coming to terms with, with where he is. Right. And and, think, and, and he's a big part of that.
0: Okay. And, and the world he's in is not totally foreign to him. I mean, granted it's you know, 33 years older than the world, but it, but it is the world of police work. And, and, you know, I, I guess on the one hand, like Outlander, which I know you don't watch, but, but that's part of, of her dilemma is that she knows how history plays out and she has to be careful what she says and what she does. And, you know, as as you alluded to a few minutes ago here, even if she does something, she's not convinced it will have the impact and effect that she wants it to have. And, you know, I I think I see that a a little bit in him as well, because again, just because they put this guy away doesn't necessarily mean the killings will
1: stop. Well, it's also kind of like that thing. It's like, I mean, like, because he writes down like everything he can remember, right, about yeah. the future. And I'm just wondering, like, if, if, if that ever happened, if I got suddenly transported back into the past, like, how much would I actually remember to be able to take advantage of? Like, you want, like, uh, I mean, you saw, you know, like, eleven, twenty-two, sixty-three. You know, he, he makes money because he's got this little book of of good bets to make and when to make them, right? Well,
0: well I think I learned that just not to bet right. too often and to bet too much money.
1: Yeah. Don't go buy a fancy car. Exactly.
0: Now, you know, uh, I really like the character of Annie. I mean, I like the fact that despite everybody heaping this abuse on her, she stands up. and, and, And to be fair, Sam wants her opinion. And we find out she'd gone to college to study psychology. But Obviously, her role in the precinct is is just to get coffee and do whatever the men need her to do that they don't right. want to do. Sam sees her as relatively equal to them and you know, solicits her opinion and it turns out to really help.
1: and she's gorgeous,
0: and she's gorgeous. Yeah, look we, we mentioned John Sim playing Sam Tyler. i I think he's perfect for the role. you know, I, I like the fact that his character doesn't take crap from anyone, doesn't care about fitting in. Which you know, and that's what I like so much about that decision to throw away that kid's medical file because he thinks it's for the greater good. And as you said, that's that's his opinion. It, it may in fact not be. But then I like the fact that Annie begins to take him seriously. Look, it's like anybody that's a time traveler or whatever he is. Uh, for somebody to say, "Okay, I believe that you're from the future," or I obviously, that's a great leap, and and sometimes they just do it to humor
1: the person, right? But Annie like buys in, lock, stock, and barrel, right from the, the word one, right when he first tells her, she's just like,
0: "Okay," right, and, and she has that story about a nephew that was in a similar accident, and yeah, you know, I, I don't know, but. But I like her character, and, and Hunt is great. I, I really like him, and and you know we see the others. I mean, at this point, they're pretty much all flat characters, except for as you mentioned, the guy that does the searching for Sam. He he starts to develop a little bit. But all that well, stuff, like but,
1: seeing like the, you know what he sees them on the television, and everything. Oh yeah, that was a creepy scene, right? When yeah. when he, when he. How said, about the girl with the the clown doll? Yeah,
0: well, what well, you know, e- even that like. Why does he create that room
1: as he does? Right? Does he create it? What's that? No. Well, does that's again that's the thing. Does he create it? What, what what's the dream? What's the reality? Is he imagining things when the TV comes on or is he imagining things when he's in 1973?
0: Or is he really in 1973 and 2006 was a was a That's moment. what I'm saying. Yeah, okay. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. it's just Woo. There is a lot to consider, I will say. That. <laughs> it's
1: uh, oh man, it's such a great show. Yeah. I really really yeah. like Life on Mars. Yeah. I'm actually considering a rewatch after after watching the first episode again.
0: Well, it was only 8 episode seasons, which is obviously one thing to really like a lot about British television. Right. You know, you can go back and watch these series and not spend 3 years of your life doing it. Sure. Which is what I did with Andromeda and Farscape, right.
1: but it was worth it. I will say that Farscape was so worth it. Yeah, I haven't right. seen Andromeda yet, but uh, you haven't. But, yeah. You haven't even seen the pilot. No, because it's it's like I don't want to take that first. That I don't want. I don't, I don't want to get addicted to the show. That's not going to require this extended, uh, you know, um, commitment. Now I might have to
0: Clockwork Orange you and uh... <laughs> <laughs> right
1: yeah um i mean like force feed you yeah you know i it's you you gave i you know i i know the pilot's there i can watch it but just i I just i don't want to get uh don't want to get into another show just yet
0: yeah except for maybe
1: life on mars i understand so
0: well anything else you want to bring out on this one
1: yeah okay so two things well, first of all, uh, the choice of like Manchester in 1973, I thought was interesting. You know, Manchester is a working class town in the north of England. Uh, so I was just trying to think, like, why they pick Manchester and not like you know, like London, obviously, which is you know, like the big, big city. Yeah, I'm not sure. Except for like, you know, the man, the Mancunian accent is is really cool. That Northern England accent is a uh, is a pretty cool accent. Um, you know, I like the, the idea of, like, it's a working-class town, you know, and everything. You know, it's a place that obviously experienced a lot of change between 1973 and 2006 as apparent from, you know, his, you know, I, I don't know, but, you know, we can see from his, what it looked like in 2006 and then what it looked like in 73 when he woke up. But I think more than anything, it's because Ian Curtis is just 17 at this time. uh uh-huh. Ian Curtis, yeah, you know, the lead singer of uh, Joy Division, when it's, uh from Manchester. Okay, and what's Actually, the second Mackles thing? Field. Okay, so that's the one thing. Oh, and, and you know, nineteen seventy-three, I think, just basically because the early seventies, it's kind of like this, like they could really draw a big. I mean, obviously, they took him back to like the fifties or something. it would also be a big kind of like you know difference between his time and this time and everything. But um, I think we we see as the early seventies as, as kind of Right on the cusp of these big changes that are going to occur over the next you know twenty years and, and the end of the twentieth century that will bring us to you know what you know our, the modern age or whatever.
0: Right. And certainly in, in United States history, nineteen seventy-three-seventy-four marks the end of our involvement and, and our pull-out of
1: Vietnam. Right. Which I think like worldwide also kind of was just like this. Optimism of the '60s and everything was kind of fading, and especially in England uh, in the '70s, there were like a lot of labor strikes and a lot of labor troubles, and uh, you know, England was going through a lot of stuff uh, in the '70s that uh, you know came gave gave rise to punk rock. So yeah, I think just all of this, it, just kind of like a very dynamic time in culture of, of both England and the United States. '73 kind of nails it now. Also about 73. What I've compiled, compiled is the, so I, I'm a big fan of, of glam rock bands, you know, like okay. early 70s. So I picked the best glam rock acts of 1973 Okay. and the major hits that came out that year. All right, you ready?
0: Uh, I'm ready. I mean, David okay. Bowie's got to be first, but go ahead.
1: Spoilers. Okay, sorry. All right. So yeah, uh, The Suite is number five. I don't know if you ever heard of the suite. I have. Yeah. So the songs Ballroom Blitz and Blockbuster were both released sure. in 1973. Number four, come back across the pond for the New York Dolls, who released Personality Crisis. All right? David like, Johansson? Yeah. And Personality Crisis is like my favorite song there's an incredible song. Number three, at the end of his career, but still kicking it, was Mark Bolin and T-Rex. Sure. Who released Twentieth Century Boy in 1973. Not the end of his career per se. It was like the end of, like T Rex had been a pretty hot streak for a couple years. And in 73, they were starting to kind of wind down. I think they broke up in 74. Number two, uh, you guessed number one. Can you guess number two? Uh, I'm blanking. Tell me. Okay. The Stooges. Oh, of course with uh they released the Raw Power album in 1973 which had the single Search and Destroy and Raw Power on it. Nice.
0: Iggy and uh, I can't remember the two brothers, the bass player and the drummer. They were brothers, uh, Ron uh, the,
1: and something, I forget. Uh, oh my gosh, just on the tip of my tongue. The one The one just died or not just, I think Ashton. The, the Ashton brothers. Yes. Nice. All right. And number 1, uh David Bowie. Yeah. Yes, you got, you called it. The, the single, Life on Mars, actually was released in 1973. It's kind of an interesting story because the album that's on Hunky Dory was released in 71, but it like didn't sell very well at first. But in 72, he released Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, and that was like massive. And so because of the popularity of Ziggy Stardust, Hunky Dory actually started selling again, and they released Life on Mars as a sing- single in 73. Yeah.
0: God, what so a what a great album though Ziggy. Whew.
1: Yeah, well, Hunky Dory is a great album too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but uh, Ziggy Stardust is that's just transcendent. That's like one of the the greatest of all time. You know, right? So yeah, there's my my glam rock acts mm-hmm. of 1973 top five in my humble opinion.
0: All right, well, I you know I I definitely enjoyed this one. I haven't decided yet whether to go B or B plus. But definitely, uh, you know, I, I thought the the writing was pretty strong. The the, the acting, I mean, like John Sim, is it, just great. I I, I now yeah. did I read somewhere he's not gonna return as the master.
1: Well, they got Michelle Gomez. Well, now, right, right, right.
0: But then there was talk that I, I, there was something. I do I'm, I'm not sure. I'm I, not sure as far I
1: mean. as Doctor Who goes, I say never say never. Yeah, good point. You know. And that's what I like about
0: Stephen Moffat. He's basically saying never say never about all these things, too. So Yeah. So. All right. Well, I guess that'll wrap it up for this one.
1: Uh, what are you giving it? Oh, an A for sure. Oh, okay. All right. Sounds I, good. I never, I don't give any A pluses ever. Okay. But uh, if, if I did, well, I might.
0: But, well, we uh, did give an A plus on the finale of Dark Angel, but that deserved it.
1: Yeah, it did. And this would deserve an A plus, too. I'm just yeah. going to give it an A. Okay
0: all right well i want to thank you guys for joining us tonight we'd love to hear from you with follow-ups about dark angel still it hasn't been that long charlie jade hemlock grove 4400 life on mars anything else you think we should be watching I'd like to encourage you to join the facebook group and if you're already a member spread the word emails to sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com voicemails via the speak pipe tab which you can access through the website And we'll be back next week to discuss J.J. Abrams' Spy-Fi series, Alias. But until then...
1: Well, until then, Dave, when we stop recording, don't you start that sexy business with me, young man. I can trace this call.